From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, please visit lean.org. Hello, and welcome to the WLEI Podcast. I'm Tom Ehrenfeld, the host of this podcast and an editor with the Institute. So, what will the world look like when, or should I say if, COVID-19 recedes, and what role will Lean play in making things better? Today, we'll be talking with Lean legend Dan Jones about this and related topics. Welcome to Dan Jones. It's great to have you here, Dan. And I'm looking forward to talking with you about the topic of the world of COVID-19 and lean thinking. I would like to kick this off by reading to you a small passage from your recent article in Planet Lean titled Lean Thinking in the World After COVID-19. And you assert that the true significance Mm -hmm. of lean business system is not that it improves the performance of the legacy assets of the mass production age, big factories, big warehouses, big stores, big hospitals, big airports, and so forth. It does, of course, but it can also iteratively scale up new technologies much faster through several generations with user feedback. Most significantly, it can mobilize the creative contribution of everyone, including users, to develop very different and sustainable systems for the future. Now that it appears we are facing a different future than we anticipated, say, three months ago, can you say more, and maybe with a little more Mm -hmm. granularity, about how your vision of a lean business system will play out in this eventual post-COVID world? Well, I think Lean has been seen very much as an efficiency improvement uh, tool or system or framework uh, as it applied to the the legacy industries of mass production, the the big airports, the big hospitals, the big factories, the big warehouses and so on, as I described in that piece. But actually the world is, is changing very, very dramatically. And the one thing that I think is going to hold us back is not actually the immediacy of climate change, which is going to force us to change our behavior in many different ways. And it's not even really the spread of wealth across the world, which will undoubtedly continue with ups and downs. But what will stop us from doing this is really the the social systems that are going to actually deliver against these challenges. And so I think the key element of the social system that does deliver this is our business system. And the shareholder first business system, in my view, is is no longer credible because it basically ignores the externalities of the operations of the organization. And it ignores the fact that nowadays we have lots of skilled employees and treating them as hired hands that don't share in the profit from the enterprise doesn't seem to me credible anymore. And so I think it is time to challenge the traditional American business model of make money and anything that makes money for shareholders is good and everything else gets goes by the wayside. So I think that's the background to my concern and my 
thought that Lean does actually offer a very different approach to organizing a business. I've never seen Lean just as a set of tools or a, a way of improving processes. It's actually much more fundamental than that. It's about engaging everybody in doing new things, in learning how to do today's things better, but actually with a view to improving them significantly and rapidly in the future. So but Lean is, a, is a, a business system that is all about uh, change and learning. And that is actually gonna come to the fore in this next era. And so we, as leaders, we have to learn very different ways of learning and very different ways of leading and very different ways of listening to the customers and figuring out actually what the world does want now in the future. So I think Lean provides a business system that links the process side, the people side and the purpose side together in a different way than the traditional business model of shareholder first business model. Perhaps there's a fourth P that needs to be integrated into that formula for enduring operational change, which would be profits. Shareholder first, owner driven enterprise can make a play at engaging people, purpose, processes. But I think the the one leap is that these changes can happen without also disrupting the economic structure, the ownership of the enterprise and the distribution of profits. Well, there's been a lot of discussions in, in America about widening the focus from shareholders. And I think that's welcome. And I think that is leading in the right direction. But I think in the United States, still a, a cultural focus on success being defined as making money and the business is there to, to make money first and how it does it is sort of inconsequential second order question. I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. And I think increasingly the world is going to look for solutions that aren't just big blockbuster solutions that we can replicate across the world, create captive markets for and charge a premium price for and hence make profits. I'm certainly not advocating that businesses shouldn't make profits, but profits should be the outcome of a very different definition of purpose and a different way of organizing process and a different way of engaging people. So I think it's a false argument to say that we're not going to focus on profit. We are going to focus on profit, but profit is an outcome of doing the right things that society wants businesses to do. Let me point out just for the listener that this is core to the argument that you and three co-authors laid out in your recent book, The Lean Strategy, a book that I don't think got the play it merited in the States, but the fact Mm -hmm. is the four of you made a very comprehensive argument reframing lean away from being a kind of mechanical industrial way to optimize existing operations Mm -hmm. and more Mm -hmm. towards a systemic approach to business. And let me try this difficult task of linking it to current times. Say more about how the current challenges posed by the coronavirus are changing the current state and making 
the argument you guys make in your book and, and you do in your article, making them more relevant and necessary? Well, I think what we're seeing at the moment, even as we're in this crisis, we can begin to see that uh, several key elements of the way we live are going to fundamentally change. Travel is going to be a very different thing in the future. We're going to be probably traveling a lot less in the future than we were for the last 10, 15 years. Office work and commuting to the office is absolutely going to change. And education, I think, is going to change. A lot of it's now going to be online and going to be learned in very different ways, not just in traditional school settings. E-health, just been to the doctor and I did that electronically and it works fine and the doctor loves it. But doctors have resisted that change until just now when physically they have to do it. And of course, the home shopping movement has taken a big, big leap forward. So in every sector, we're going to have to fundamentally rethink what it is the customer needs to achieve, how they're going to do that, and how we can support them in doing that and making those changes. So it actually is thinking back from the customer and from the changing circumstances, plus the imperatives of climate change and doing this all in a sustainable way. That means that we're going to have to do new things. One thing that I think was overlooked in the lean movement so far is actually the ultimate gain from engaging everybody in scientific problem solving and developing the capabilities of solving ever more complicated problems in teams is that to learn to do things that we hadn't been able to do before. So that's precisely the set of skills that we're going to need to figure our way to serving customers and developing products and services in a very different environment. And so I'm not saying that the old view of lean is wrong. We were looking at lean through the perspective of the traditional mass production corporations that largely were the engines to experiment with lean to start with. And it certainly had a big impact on them and their efficiency and so on. But I think now we have to switch to thinking about business and the purpose of business and the engagement of employees in changing the business in a different way. And so that's where I I think this makes a lot more sense now in this age of disruption and change than the traditional focus on efficiency. One aspect that fascinates me has to do with the role of just in time. So just in time, let's just call it the old framework, mm -hmm. the old understanding of lean, I think was viewed as a, an efficiency tool for stripping out excess inventory mm -hmm and being more responsive to changes. And I read it in your argument as a kind of key tension within this linked system of enterprise. I think that actually we've been through five different revolutions in our understanding of lean. The first one, which is the just-in-time one, is focusing on time and understanding the imperative and the efficiency improvements that come from focusing on doing everything as quickly as we can for customers when they need it. And separating that out from the obvious need to have safety stock somewhere in case of big unforeseen calamities, but actually running the business in a just-in-time fashion is, I think, widely accepted now. So that's a time pressure a revolution. The second was actually a quality revolution. You can't actually run an interdependent 
integrated system involving lots of actors doing lots of different things unless everybody performs to the highest level of quality and reliability and on time and everything. And so actually, you can't run an interdependent system to achieve just in time unless you engage everybody in, in problem solving, constantly problem solving, so that the uptime of every single step in the process actually is very, very high. It has to be really, really high. So the, the true impact of the quality revolution was actually to enable big integrated systems to be integrated for the first time, rather than run as a series of discrete units. And that brought the third revolution, which is basically then if we're engaging people in problem solving, we have to give them a framework for learning how to problem solve in teams, and how to do that within the context of the needs of the enterprise and so on. And that was the learning revolution. And the third that comes out of that, having engaged people in improvement, is then thinking about back from the customer and rethinking the business and rethinking the product, using the insights from the engagement in the current process and the improvements of the current process. And then what that means, if you're going to have a learning focus on learning, and building capabilities, you need a leadership that can support that rather than the leadership that just decides on a plan and hands it over to somebody else to implement. You implement by executing the, the plan despite every, whatever obstacles or whatever countermeasures that it encounters. So I think in the end, there's actually five different elements to any lean system. And we've gradually uncovered each of those and we're still uncovering the leadership damage. And I think the singular contribution of the Lean Strategy book wasn't actually the Lean Strategy as such, because people bristled at Lean being a strategy, which of course it is. Uh, it was actually the decision-making, the very different approach to decision-making that comes right at the end of the book. The, the switch from traditional top-down decision-making and separation of decision-making from implementation to a very different framework, which we call a 4F framework, which is all about finding the things the organization needs to do next and better, and framing those as gaps, and facing up to the inadequacies of the current system or the challenges for the future and measuring those and focusing on those, yeah. and then framing those challenges for all the teams in the business to focus on and come up with solutions and come up with proposals for projects to improve them. And that finally, out of all of that experimentation, you form new solutions. So actually, I think in the end, we're still going through the lean journey to discover the true potential of the lean journey and the true potential of lean as a business system. And I think it comes together as a business system and it comes together in a world that is rapidly changing because it is a business system for change rather than a business system that makes businesses in a fairly stable environment um, more efficient. So it's about accelerating change and building an organization that mobilizes all of the resources and all of the people in the business to affect change. And really the debate about the lean strategy as a quote strategy the book presents lean as a different frame as opposed mm -hmm. to a different tactical approach to what right. a company it's, 
is going exactly. to... Exactly. We're using the word strategy not in the traditional sense of defining the plan and defining the execution of the plan. We're defining the word strategy as a path to achieving what you need to achieve in the, in the changing world in the future. So, okay, we stretched the term, which is why people bristled at it, because they still have the traditional mass production mindset definition of strategy in their heads. And we struggled with that for a long time. Um, we initially attracted interest in the machine book from the traditional business community by focusing on waste and we're focusing on efficiency. And yes, quality and time were routes to getting efficiency, but it's all about efficiency. And you still see journalists, very knowledgeable journalists, equating lean with efficiency movements. I think that fundamentally misses the true potential of lean, which is that it creates a framework for engaging everybody, not just a bunch of experts, but engaging everybody, and actually engages the user too, in a journey to discover and achieve things that couldn't be done in the past, that now potentially we can. And so actually it's in tune too with the technologies that we are going to need, and we're going to need to experiment in implementing much faster than in the past, in a probably a more decentralized fashion that, than the traditional business model could achieve. Traditional business model was basically designed for a world of stability in which you control markets and you could exploit economies of scale and you had long supply chains to utilize low-cost assets and big systems to run them and so on. And that world is changing. I mean, just look at the change in the fortunes of the big mass production enterprises in the United States in the face of this crisis. I mean, GE and Boeing and so on and so forth, they're struggling to change the way they operate and the way they think about the future in a way that six months ago they didn't think they had to. The changes wrought by COVID, you know, basically there's a lot of changes about people are more sparsely located and yet at the same time there's a greater premium on connection, connectivity, compensating yeah. for this and implementing kind of operational systems that virtually connect them, but yep. they are connected in ways that are immediate and responsive. And that are decentralized. I think that's another feature of this era is that we're going to come up with lots of different solutions in different places that are much more customized to the needs of those different customers and locations. So I think the idea of big, even in the digital world, the idea of the Amazons and the Apples and so on, um, Google defining big platforms as the way to the future, I don't think that's the way to the future. The way to the future is using those platforms to do all kinds of local things. You're right, doing them in teams, but virtual teams. And that's the big change. We're gonna to have to learn how to learn virtually, Right. We're going to have to collaborate virtually, and we're going to have to probably pay more attention to our local uh, environments as well. Well, and without sounding like a lean cheerleader, I would posit that lean, certainly as defined by you and your colleagues, has a lot to offer in that respect. 
It does. I mean, I think, you know, it grew up facing challenges. I mean, the whole lean experience at Toyota was one challenge after another. And could they make a range of cars in low volume very early on in a way that didn't exploit the economies of scale? Well, yes, they found they could. The first cars in the, in the United States were terrible, poor quality, terrible quality. And they, they went back and they realized that that wasn't good enough. So the, you can go through a whole series of challenges. And Toyota have not always stumbled sometimes and haven't uh, always done everything right. But actually, they, the, the thing about Toyota is it comes back. It comes back and goes back to basics and rethinks what it does. So it's actually a challenge and response model, if you like. <laughs> and this challenge and response model is actually the challenge of our time. Fantastic. I think one striking takeaway for me from a book like The Birth of Lean is its depiction of Toyota as a very long flywheel, showing how mm -hmm. it tried stuff, how it designed itself as an organization that learned how to learn very specifically extracted lessons from its experiments and changed its operations accordingly. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, AG basically hired a bunch of smart people and set them to work to meet these challenges in new ways. He and his successors have been able to constantly renew that challenge and constantly find, uh, find groups of very brilliant people to think through ways of meeting new challenges that the rest of the industry wasn't interested in. What do you think companies need to do to keep that, if not the spirit alive, this is not a eulogy, but how can companies embody that operational goal of Hansei, of reflection? How do they try to operate today and do so in a way that is generative, do so in a way that structures its experiments as learning experiments, really learns from them and, and, and changes operations? Well, I think recognizing that the capabilities of an organization are cumulative and are learned, that need fostering and need focusing and need nurturing, um, that has to come from leadership at the top. So I think the top, if it realizes that it has to actually lead the group that's going to define the future of the organization, you stand a chance. If the leaders believe they can hire in consultants as experts to do it for them, I think I have no chance at all. So I think this is a fundamental change of leadership style that's going to be required in a rapidly changing world. And Lean provides a framework to enable them to harness the capabilities of everybody in the organization and focus them on the real needs of the customer rather than on marketing. I think there's a piece of it that I think is vital, which has to do with developing and mastering the necessary digital tools of today's mm -hmm. environment. I think yep. that this has been a problem in the past where people have focused on tools excessively like A3, which is a beautiful and profound thought exercise, but you misapplied. And I think that there's just daunting technological challenges regarding how people use technology to form teams and share knowledge. 
I don't think current state is as good. As, <laughs> I don't think it's very good. I think that there's great potential well, for abuse and so forth. Well, I think that we're now in a period of very, very rapid learning. The white collar workers and the office workers and the professionals have resisted these changes for a very long time. And now they're going to be forced to use them. They're discovering they're pretty good. And actually, they're pretty liberating. I don't need to be in London. I can uh, go out in the countryside and run a business virtually with uh, other people at other locations. I think this is a great unlocking. And I don't think the technology is as daunting as you think. Uh, in fact, I believe that the, in the age where we're actually leveraging platforms and developing our own apps on those platforms, that's the better metaphor, I think. There are technologies now which enable you to develop your apps to run simple administrative processes without knowing any coding. And by the way, most of the employees, younger employees, are, can code and know all of that stuff anyhow. So I think the technology is actually not daunting. I think it's the social acceptance and the social acceptance and the probably some learning and experience with working in virtual teams. And that's going to be a central challenge for everybody. But I don't think it's so hard. When you're forced to do it, you learn how to do it. Even teachers are going to have to rethink the whole purpose of education and the way we learn. It's going to be fascinating. Jim and I always said that the education industry was going to be the last to be challenged by lean, and it's happening right now. Education and healthcare. It's great. I look forward to seeing the next generation turn them around into fundamentally different service delivery businesses. I'm going to end the podcast with that, but thank okay. you very much, Dan Jones. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Tom. A huge thanks to Dan Jones for sharing his thoughts on this topic. Thanks also to Emma Ripp and Lori Moniz for their help with this podcast. Be sure to tune in next month. And above all, thank you, dear listener, for tuning in.